Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Ashley, happy fall. Hey, Katie, happy fall. How's it going? It's going well. It's been a while since we recorded, so I'm glad that we're we're talking again. We're in a new season, and um, we've been busy decorating our house for Halloween and for the fall season, which has been really fun. Aw, I love it. You know, my husband uh, called me yesterday from, I think he was at Lowe's, and they already have Christmas trees out. They do. I can confirm (laughs) that. And they have all the blow-up yard stuff, too. I cannot understand it. It is so hot here still. Like, the thought of bringing anything wintry feeling into my house right now is just so weird. (laughs) So, um, anything else going on in your world right now? We are getting ready to have a five-year-old in our house in about a month. So thinking about that and planning birthday party and um, yeah, the fall is definitely a different, has a different feeling now that we have this October baby. So um, yeah, it's just fun to uh, be preparing for that and really enjoying our neighborhood and our new neighbors that we've made friends with. Uh, we just had our first like party since we moved in that included our neighbors. And it was just so much fun to have all the kids over when we were playing yard games. And so we're really just, yeah, like enjoying being in our new house and getting settled here. Oh, that is so fun. Yeah. What about you? What have you got going on? So I'm really excited. We are actually planning a family trip up to the Smoky Mountains in a couple of weeks. Our in-laws have generously agreed to let us use their RV. So we're going to be driving up to Tennessee area of the Smokies and do a little RV camping, um, visit some friends and just get outside and hopefully enjoy some cooler temperatures and maybe some fall leaves changing because that's something we don't have here. We don't really have fall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have Mm -hmm. pine trees and like the more beachy (laughs) We pretty much go from summer to everything's dead. There's not a lot of like orange and yellow in between. So I'm just excited to to get out of town for a little bit, unplug and go see some fall. Yeah, some change in scenery can feel like a real escape. Yeah, it can. I mean, we're only talking about a week long trip, but I'm thinking that that should be a good a good amount of time to just take a break, shake it off, unplug and come back a little bit fresher, you know. Well, I will be thinking of you all as you do a road trip with a toddler in an RV. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're we're in the process right now of planning like activities for the car, snacks, things like that cuz I'm a little nervous about that part, but I'm just, you know, hopeful that once we get there, we're not planning on moving a lot once we're there. We're just going to be in the same campsite and so it'll just be the drive up and back. So one one parenting hack that might work for you, because I remember we did a pretty long road trip with Sam when she was about that age, and we went to the dollar store and got little things and wrapped them up as presents. And so she could open one every hour or something like that. And it was just the novelty of like, well, it took her a while to unwrap it and then just having something (laughs) new. So um, I, I think we ended up not even using them all, but that might be one thing you could try as a distraction. I love it. That's a good idea. So we've got a couple of announcements before we get into the show. You want to go first? Yeah. So our first announcement is that we are officially on Spotify. It took us a little while to uh, figure out how to get our show added, but we are officially on Spotify. 
you have to search Kindred's podcast and then scroll down a little bit. We are not the very first search result like we are on Apple Podcasts. And honestly, I don't know if you've noticed this, Katie, but it feels like there has been an explosion of podcasts just even in the last like six months. It just feels like everyone has a podcast. There's like, I don't know, five or 10 different podcasts with the name, with the word kindreds in the name now. Uh, and copy. Yes. <laughs> well, and when we started, we were the only one. <laughs> so, right. Running out of names. I know. <laughs> it's like website domain names. There's just not enough anymore. Um, so if you do want to listen to us on Spotify, we are there. Just search Kindred's podcast, scroll down until you see us, and then click follow. And even if you don't use Spotify as your main podcast app, it would be really helpful if you could find us on Spotify and follow us because, I mean, I don't have any idea really how their algorithms work, but I have a feeling that the more followers we have, it'll push us higher in the search results. That's just sort of the common understanding. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't listen on Spotify, if you have a Spotify account, if you could go on there and follow us, that would be much appreciated. You can add one of our tracks to your fall mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can still go on and find our Kindred's podcast, uh, Summer 18 playlist. That's still oh, up yeah. on pot, on uh, Spotify. Yeah. So um, while you're there, you could subscribe to both. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing that. It's always great mm-hmm. to have another option for listening. Yeah. And I want to welcome our two new patrons who Yay. have agreed to support the cost of the show. We have Susan Glassberg and Anna Bischoff, and they've both been active in our Facebook group that's just for patrons, and um, we're just thrilled to have them as supporters of the show. So if you would like to become a supporter of the show and have access to our closed Facebook group, you can become a supporter today on patreon.com slash kindreds podcast. I think that's right. I think so too. (laughs) Maybe should have looked that up before right now but hey we're going with the flow so yeah uh welcome to them and Yay. all right let's get into our conversation so we're going to talk about self-help today self-help <laughs> our favorite Yay! <laughs> we've talked about um we've talked about like therapy and i've mentioned self-help before but we have not dedicated an entire episode to it so it's gonna be really fun but first we want to just kind of ground ourselves like what are we talking about when we say self-help and what even counts as self-help in a day in which there's self-publishing and there's millions of books about self-help. Right. There's a lot. So when I think about the self-help genre, I a lot of books come to mind. I think about the sort of life hacking, productivity, optimize your life type books like The 4-Hour Workweek. I think Ugh. about, yeah, <laughs> I think about like dating books, the dating advice books of the 90s, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Mm-hmm. I think about the sort of personality test driven books like Enneagram yeah. and Myers-Briggs tests and the five love languages and books about like how to just figure out your type and then apply it to your life. And then um, there's memoirs that are more about somebody's own journey, but that have little bit of life lessons and then diet books books on communication how to win friends and influence people how to parent and then books on faith how to be a better christian Mm -hmm. so there's just i mean there's a lot so what are we talking about today when we're talking about self-help yeah i'm glad that you went through some of the different 
permutations of self-help and how mm-hmm. wide of a variety it is. Mm-hmm. Um, as many podcasts as there are, right? There are that many right. self-help books, if not more. And um, the thing is, self-help is definitely not a new concept. You know, there are roots back into ancient philosophy with folks like Socrates and Marcus Aurelius talking about how we shape our realities. But certainly the self-help industry that you're referring to is a relatively new kind of thing. And that's what we'll be focusing on today. Self-help as it's packaged and sold and consumed uh, as advice to improve our lives one way or another, usually by doing something different from what we're currently doing. And I will say that I've become really interested in this podcast or this topic as of late because I've been diving into the archives of the By the Book podcast. Yes. Yeah, which I mentioned on the last episode. Um, it is a gem. All of you should go it listen really to is. it. <laughs> it's hosted by, co-hosted by Kristen Meinzer and Jolinta Greenberg. And each episode, the two of them read a self-help book cover to cover. They live by its advice for two weeks before mm-hmm. issuing a verdict on whether or not it worked for them. And it's got me thinking about my own experiences with self-help over the years. Like, who are these so-called experts telling advice to the masses on how to improve ourselves? And should we be consuming and reading and applying these lessons in some kind of experimental way? Or are we better off just leaving them on the bookstore shelves altogether and just listening to our own intuition? Yeah. Ever since you mentioned the By the Book podcast, I've gone through some of the archives as well and listened to. I like listening to episodes about books that I've read because Mm. I have some kind of frame of reference. And um, I've just really enjoyed that show. I like the idea of living prescriptively, like actually following the advice in a book as written to see if it holds up. Because I, I feel like a lot of self-help books, the authors will give advice and there's no accountability for what mm-hmm. they're telling. You know what I mean? They're, they're just mm-hmm. giving advice willy-nilly and there's nobody's holding them accountable for the things that they're saying in the book. And that's what I love about the podcast is it feels like a little bit of accountability to the authors <laughs> of like, we did what you said and here's how it affected us and here's what we think about it. Yeah, there's a certain kind of audacity of, of putting out advice into the universe and yeah. expecting people to to try it out for themselves. And you're right, other than critiques on Goodreads or on Amazon or mm-hmm. maybe on a an outlet, there's really not that accountability before that advice gets put out into the atmosphere. Yeah. And so I appreciate too, like, it's kind of, I think their tagline of buy the book should be like, we read self-help books, so you don't have to. Yes. <laughs> and so I've actually been drawn to the ones where I've heard of the book but never read it because I'm, uh-huh. I'm curious about what the book is actually about, but I don't want to read it or try to implement it unless they tell me it's really good. Yes. So it's been fun to listen to, like, The Secret. Um, oh, and I yeah. got strangely protective of the one where they did Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert because I loved that book. And when they yep. were kind of hating on it a little, yep. I'm like, no. <laughs> yep. I, I felt the same book. way. But like just goes to show show that no one book is going to work for everybody. Yes, absolutely. So what is the first self-help book that you remember reading? The first one that I remember reading, although it might not have been the first, was Iyanla Van Zant's book, One Day My Soul, just opened up 40 Days and 40 Nights Towards Spiritual Strength and Personal Growth. And I kind of randomly picked up this book without knowing who she was or what I was getting myself into. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Do you know Ayanla Van Zant? She used to be on Oprah. Um, She's kind of like one of Oprah's gurus that Oprah would have on her show. And then they had a kind of falling out. 
And then Ayala Van Zant has a show called Fix My Life that I think is now on the O network. But in any case, um, she touts herself as this like spiritual, I don't know if a guru is the right word, but like a spiritual advisor and life coach kind of thing. And um, our town didn't have a big boxed bookstore for a long time until I was in high school. And my mom loves to read. And so one of our activities in a small town was just to kind of go and peruse the mm-hmm. bookstore on the weekends. Um, and always, of course, want to buy something, right? Because it's how can you walk out of a bookstore with nothing in your mm-hmm. hands? And I don't really know why I was drawn to this book in particular. Um, but there was something about the title that just kind of drew me in. And I think I probably thought I was getting another sort of devotional type book similar to the ones I had gotten from the Christian bookstore. You know, mm-hmm. it's like 40 days of whatever. Yep. Um, but this book was very different. And Looking back, I really wasn't ready for it at the time. I think I was 15 when it came out. Very, very progressive interfaith theology is at the center of it. So clearly I wasn't ready yeah, for it at the time. That was not 15-year-old Katie. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But it, it did come at a time when I was dealing with a lot of turmoil um, and a lot of questions about my life in general. And what I liked about that book was she really wove in her own life story in kind of what you're talking about with the memoir that's part self-help. It was very much like that. And she has struggled a lot in her life. And so I really resonated more with her story than with the advice. But I would say overall, it was a positive experience. What about you? I think it's so funny that you said you didn't get your first big box store until high school because I think that's about when we got our Barnes & Noble. It was sometime Uh in like middle high school. And I remember the same thing, especially sort of date nights on um, in high school where because the Barnes Noble was close to the movie theater, so okay, that's what we would do. Yes, exactly. Go to Barnes and Noble, go to Starbucks (laughs) um, before we go see a movie. So I have the same kind of memories. I don't remember reading any self help before adulthood. When I was growing up, the only self-help I was ever really exposed to was just what was on my mom's bookshelf. And I know she had Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Right. I know she had some Susie Orman books. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, she. I remember when she was reading Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. She was reading that for work. And mm-hmm. I, rem- I remember her coming home and having to do like a project about one of the habits and she was on some kind of team at work. It was the team building thing. So I remember that I was probably in middle school or high school around that time as well. But I didn't read any until adulthood. And before that, I think I read a lot of books on like how to be a better Christian. A lot of Uh my high school, that type of reading was focused around, like you said, devotionals, um, the, the prayer of Jabez. (laughs) Oh my gosh. that I mentioned yes. on our on our personal finance episode. I had um, that book. I don't think I had the teen one, but I had the regular one. Yeah. Um, books by Max Lucado. I yes. remember. <laughs> yes. I had all of his books. I did too. And then I remember being really interested in spiritual memoir books of folks who had lost their faith, and then found it again. Oh, yeah. Backsliders coming back into the fold. (laughs) Yes. I had a lot of books like that in high school and, like, college. I guess, I mean, I think now those those were self-help just through a spiritual lens and with spiritual language. But I wouldn't say that I read an actual self-help book until probably my mid-20s. Mm-hmm. So what's your relationship with self-help now? I mean, I cannot remember the last self-help book I read. 
that would be anything that would be constituted as self-help. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe that's not true. I think I've probably read a couple of businessy leadership yeah. sorts of books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to read a lot more nonfiction in general because, you know, I'm the productivity junkie. But now I, I don't consume a lot of nonfiction. I like to read mm-hmm. fiction with an occasional memoir here and there. Um, but I do listen to some self-help podcasts from time to time. Um, and what I find most useful in that genre are times in which somebody else is working through an issue that I can relate to and they're talking about what their journey is like and the stuff that comes up yes. for them. Yes. Because I I just absorb better when something's conversational. So mm-hmm. I really love listening to people either being interviewed about their issues or even better, the real life therapy sessions like uh, Where Shall We Begin by Esther Perel. Yeah, um, I've listened to a couple of those. Yeah, just like listening to people talk about stuff that's at the forefront of their mind, but then how it's connected to different things from their childhood. Uh, and I'll talk more about one of my favorite self-helpy podcasts right now when we when we get to that section. But I will stop for now and just say, what about you? Are you, are you into self-help these days or not so much? I'm kind of the same, actually. I, I don't reach for actual self-help books necessarily, but I have read a few that have to do with like you said, leadership, more businessy. I have one that's called uh, like managing nonprofits or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, there, so a few leadership type ones, but really when I'm looking for that kind of inspiration or, or life insight, I'm going to reach for a memoir as well. Yes. Yeah. I just really like, I, I tend to chafe at the more prescriptive this is what you should do tone of self-help books. I like a lot more of that conversational style and that just like someone telling their story and letting me just kind of take from that inspiration as it applies to me. Um, that isn't just like I did this so you can too, which is really, I think my, my problem with self-help in general. And I've really, I get a lot out of memoirs too, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my favorites have been. Did you read Yes Please by Amy Poehler? Yes, I, I loved, loved that. that one. The audiobook is amazing. It's her reading it, and she has all kinds of different like celebrity guests come on and <laughs> read different sections and oh, even wow, have conversations. Really it's good. It's really good. I listened to it on a car trip, and I loved it. Um, I also really, I mean, I've talked about Wild by Cheryl Strait yes, before, and that book so really good. kind of changed my life. Just reading stories, mm-hmm. especially of women who have achieved something or gone through some adversity or um, found a new way of looking at life, maybe. Those books really always tend to speak to me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. I that's really more what I reach for now. My husband, though, he is a self-help junkie. <laughs> I told him we were going to be doing this episode, and I said, so what are your thoughts on self-help? He goes, it's all I read. <laughs> I was like, yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. He, he tends to read the ones that are entrepreneurial. He reads some of the life ha- hacking, optimizing ones, and you know, I roll my eyes a lot at some of the books that he reads. We, we read one together that I'll mention later on in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. But so what is the best self-help book you've read? This was hard for me to choose from. Um, so I'm going to cheat and, and do a tie because they're connected in some ways. So I loved Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, which is a classic for writers. Mm. And 
Tara Brock's radical acceptance, embracing your life with the heart of a Buddha, because they both tackle my perfectionism, which I think is maybe the biggest hurdle I have to overcome in my life. So Bird by Bird gives the advice of to write the crappy first draft and just sit sit your butt in the chair and just get something Mm -hmm. on paper. And I love how, despite how successful Anne Lamott is as a writer, she continues to talk about the struggle of the discipline of writing. Mm -hmm. Like it's not magic. It's not big magic. It's hard work. Um, And she also in that book talks about the importance of truth telling. And I love this quote. She says, risk freeing somebody else. Not everyone will be glad that you did. Members of your family and other critics may wish you had kept your secrets. (laughs) Oh, well, what are you going to do? Get it all down. Let it pour out of you and onto the page. Write an incredibly shitty, self-indulgent, whiny, mewling first draft. Then take (laughs) out as many of the excesses as you can. So what I love about that, it actually ties back to what you're talking about with memoir, about like the process of writing and sort of like dealing with your own stuff and then going back and making sense of it in a way that's going to be relatable. And I think that's the difference between memoir as I understand it in self-help books where it's like, Mm -hmm. I fixed my life and let me tell you how, how to do it versus Mm -hmm. I transformed and here's my reflection on how I got there. And those are very, it's a different sort of leading people to their own introspection. And I'm like you, I would rather read somebody's own like very self-aware understanding of how they got where they are rather than you telling me how to get there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one. And then the Radical Acceptance book was gifted to me by a college professor who has turned into a friend. And it was the first book I read that tied psychology and Buddhism. And I think that combination was a really refreshing change from the theology that I got as a child. And I first read this book in grad school, which was a really terrible time in my life when I was dealing with a lot of self-doubt and imposter syndrome. Mm. And again, I wasn't quite ready for that book at the time, but it the, there were seeds planted in my reading of it. And it's a book that I revisit over and over again to work on compassion for myself, which was not a concept I heard growing up. Um, so those were, those were the best, I think. And as I'm talking, I'm like, I can even think of five or six others that would be in that category. So I've definitely read some good self-help books. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also read some bad ones <laughs> and um, probably any diet book. I'm thinking about the South Beach diet, for example. Oh, and yeah. then um, what to expect when you're expecting. That one was so bad. In fact, my midwifery practice was like, do not read this book. They, were, <laughs> they gave us our bodies ourselves for um, pregnancy instead, like as a as part of our treatment. And they were like, do not read what to expect when you're expecting. Because it's a manual of like all the things to be terrified about yeah. when you're pregnant. Not what to expect, but what to be fearful of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't like that book either. There were a lot of really bad pregnancy books, honestly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So have you read some good stuff you want to share? I will. Yes. I will talk about the good ones first and then the, the worst one. How about that? Okay. It sounds good. So my absolute favorite self-help book is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Oh, yes. So good. Like the radical acceptance book that you mentioned reading in a particularly difficult time in your life, I read Daring Greatly right on the heels of a divorce. (laughs) And Mm. I was just in one of the lowest points of my life and trying to figure out how to start over. I was in my mid-20s. And uh, I remember picking up 
a copy, a random copy of Oprah Magazine, O Magazine, I guess. And it there was like a, these are our recommended books of the month. And the first was Daring Greatly and the second was Wild. And I ordered them both and they came in the same box. And I remember opening the box, the Amazon box, and getting both of these books. And just, I think there's so much about timing with self-help books. Like, mm-hmm. I really think a book comes into your life at one point and it might just be absolutely nothing you need to read but Mm -hmm. a few years later when your circumstances have changed it may speak to you in a whole different way so I think that there's really something about timing but Mm -hmm. daring greatly for folks who aren't familiar with Brene Brown although I feel like she's (laughs) pretty living under a rock yeah she's a pretty household name (laughs) there is a TED talk that we'll link to in the show notes it's one of the most watched TED talks in all of TED talks And she did a TED, it was TEDx Houston, and she talks about, she's a shame researcher, and she talks about her research around vulnerability and what she calls wholehearted living and shame. And one of the things that really stood out to me at that time is how she really names that shame is at the root of the things that weigh us down. And it's what drives our fears and our resentments and our perfectionist tendencies. And that the antidote to that shame is being vulnerable and really opening ourselves up to new things, to new people, new relationships, um, and risking looking stupid or (laughs) risking getting hurt, um, risking failure. And all of those things are what contribute to a wholehearted life. And that was just really something I needed to hear at that time in my life that because when you get divorced, like what you want to do is close yourself off from mm-hmm. any anything that could hurt you ever again. Yeah. And that is no way to live, you know. So reading that permission to to just get back out there and try again and rebuild my life, like it was something I, that I will always be grateful for. And then another book that I found incredibly valuable around that same time in my life was Codependent No More by Melody Beatty. This book is a classic, especially for people who are dealing with a loved one that has alcoholism or addiction issues. And it's it's sort of like the book about boundaries. So mm-hmm. it's not really for everybody. If you don't necessarily have issues with being a people pleaser or a fixer or perfectionist, um, then it might not be your cup of tea, but it's it's a classic for a reason, and it's actually a book that my therapist at the time recommended to me to see how the the coping methods that I had developed as a kid around dealing with a family member with alcoholism, like those coping methods had turned into some really deeply rooted patterns in my life for how I was approaching all kinds of other things in my life and other relationships. And so it just really helped open my eyes to the need for... Sometimes we have to go back to childhood to figure out how to mm-hmm. fix things that are going on in our life now. Yeah, I would say almost every time we have yes. to do that. <laughs> yes. And so it just was part of my therapy journey. And I think I want to take a minute to just say, you know, we're talking about self-help books. Self-help is not a substitute for actual real mental health support, Mm -hmm. um, therapy, medication, all of that. And so self-help can be a complement to those things. Mm -hmm. But if there's like something serious and and real going on in life, like absolutely seek out trained professionals for help. Um, Trying to just white knuckle through your your problems in your life with self-help can be really dangerous and harmful. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the book can't dialogue with you. It's only offering one side of a conversation. Exactly. So I feel like we should just make a point to say that. I feel like Kristen and Jalinta say that a lot in their, um, in the By the Book podcast as well. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's just good advice. So the worst book (laughs) is one that I read together with my husband. Somebody recommended it to him. It goes around, he works in real estate and it goes around real estate circles a lot. It's called The Miracle Morning. Yes, I've heard of it because of By the Book. (laughs) Oh, I hated that book so much. I did not finish it. He did. (laughs) I did not. Does he have Miraculous Mornings now? No, he does not. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah, I felt so validated listening to uh, the By the Book episode about the Miracle Morning because they hated it just as much as I did for all the same reasons. Mostly that it is, number one, it is just badly written. It It is just terrible writing. And on top of that, it's just these arbitrary rules, totally arbitrary. This guy basically woke up one day and was like, I've, I've figured out the answer. It's waking up really early. It's doing a bunch of things in the morning in a really specific order. And if you deviate from the order, not only are you a failure, but you're lazy and undisciplined. Great. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, I did not like that book at all. And I, like, I read that one because my husband was interested in it and, like, kind of asking, wanted to do something together. I knew I wasn't going to like it because I knew it was that sort of chafy, prescriptive, do this and your life will be better stuff that I just don't tend to like anyway. Yes. And this kind of leads into how I think about self-help now. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about the books that have inspired you and I think about the books that have inspired me too, there's a common theme around like allowing us to tap into the wisdom that we have within ourselves Mm -hmm. and whether that's like encouragement to do something a little bit courageous or just giving us a framework for understanding why I do what I do. Like that to me is a common thread, but the four uh, the miracle morning points to my major problem with self-help is that it's written in a way that demands that we do like all of this stuff in order to be whole. And if we, if we can't do it, then we're a failure. Um, and I think, too, with that book and others, self-help writers don't always do the work of identifying their social location and their work, like where yes. are they situated economically, familially, how their race and their gender and their ability and sexual orientation impact their ability to be successful at whatever their self-help brand aims to help others do. So like A Miracle Morning, that requires, I think it's over an hour of yeah. ritual, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just not... I mean, as a parent of a young child, like that's just yes. not possible for me. Exactly. Um, or if you if you work all night, how can you have a miracle morning? Like it, it's just yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like I'm glad, dude, bro, that works for you. But um, and maybe it works for a handful of people, but it's certainly not something that's going to work for everybody. And that lack of self awareness from a writer mm-hmm. about self help just drives me nuts. And um, this is a point that one of our patrons, Katie Walsh, talked about in our Facebook group when we raised this question about self-help and she talked about how implementing self-help advice can be a real challenge, even if you have the time. And she said, a lot of books assume you have resources you may not actually have access to. And she said, lean in is a good example of this. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you've read lean in by Sheryl Sandberg when it, I think it came out in 2013. Yeah. Um, I never did. I was, it, it hit 
book stands, I guess, at a time in my life when the advice just was not applicable to me at all. And so I just never bothered to read it. Well, I think that's okay. I don't think you have to read it. Um, That's what I've come to conclude. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Katie, I was was put off by it. I think I read it on a flight from Raleigh to Seattle because I had a long stretch. I think I read the whole thing then. But, you know, I'm all for making the most of what we have, what situation we're in, how do we make the most of it, what can we do to be more courageous um, in a Brene Brown kind of style. But I don't think Sheryl Sandberg was very forthcoming about how she made her life work. And um, she didn't address the systemic issues that make succeeding at work for women so hard Mm -hmm. in general. And she Mm -hmm. definitely doesn't talk about racism or homophobia or any other kind of systemic oppression and how that shows up. She's a she's a wealthy white woman, and she has been through a lot. Um, she's yeah. since lost her husband and yeah. has written Plan B, which I think I did read and liked a little bit better than Lean In. But just that, again, being prescriptive to an entire population of people without the self-awareness of why might they not be able to implement this advice mm-hmm. because of things beyond their control. I struggle with self-help for those reasons as well. And you mentioned this earlier in our conversation. Like, who who gets to write self-help books? Like, who decides that? Anybody you, with a computer. Exactly. Anybody with a computer. And so that means, like, these ideas aren't really necessarily vetted in any way. They don't have to be researched. They don't have to be supported by any kind of evidence. It could just be somebody with a computer and a couple of good uh pieces of advice that they then turn into an entire book. And you can smell that kind of sort of fake um, feeling, you know, out for the money. You can smell that a mile away in a book. Yeah. That's my problem with the genre is not only is the advice sometimes questionable, but the books can be just so poorly written. Yeah. So many of those books are like, This person had one solid idea, and you can tell that's all they had, and they fleshed it out into a book with 10 chapters, and so they say the same things over and over, and it's just, there's a lot of fluff and filler, and it, at a certain point, it starts to feel insulting. (laughs) Like, who are you to tell me what to do with my life when, you know, your book is this bad? I don't know. I just, yeah. Yeah. And when it turns into just a, a branding Yes. Implement for a lot of folks. They talk about this on By the Book, how a lot of times a famous person will write a self-help type book. And they talk about Ariana Huffington, for example, Mm. the the sleep Mm -hmm. revolution, I think, and how she starts like shilling her own programs and products. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, we get it. It's capitalism. But that feels even more transparent than that. It's, yeah, about self-help for you, but really in order for you to implement, you've got to buy all these other things Yeah, for you to really be successful. And yeah, or that, buy my subscription service yeah, and buy feels, my community. You, I yeah. already bought your book. Like, this should be yeah. enough. <laughs> yes, I shouldn't have to buy your meals and access <laughs> to, your, to your newsletter and your community. And this shouldn't be phase one of a 10-phase program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, like we're all addicted to a quick fix. Or I should say yeah. many of us are addicted to the idea of a quick fix and I am not immune to that. Yeah. I think it's the mm-hmm. trap of self-help. Like I'm going to read this book and I'm going to I'm going to implement this stuff and it's going to change everything and I Hello, think Hello, whole 30 diet. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's why I think the Brene Brown or the Tara Brock books, they're really about transforming over time and revisiting things over and over again. It's not a one and done thing. This is stuff that we have to unlearn and relearn over and over and over again. And I think that's why their Mm -hmm. books ring so true is because it's easy to conceptualize and intellectualize it but actually living it is a lifetime of work so it's not a like change your life in 90 days it's uh yeah this is stuff that you're gonna have to work on forever and hey i'm in the same boat that's when i appreciate like the vulnerability that Brene Mm -hmm. brown and tara brock bring to their writing because they're like look i'm still learning this stuff even though i wrote and researched it it's still a struggle and like that just feels so real yep absolutely so this is a question that came up in our Facebook group, and I wanted to see how you feel about it. Do you think that self-help is compatible with faith and Christianity? Are those are the ideas opposed? Because some, one of our patrons raised the point that in some churches and some faith traditions, especially as Christians, we're told that we shouldn't need any other help besides the Bible, that all of our answers can be found there. Prayer. (laughs) Yeah, and prayer. And so if you're reading books on how to be a better Christian, that's one thing. But if you're turning to self-help, you're actually – like that should be off limits because all you should need is the Bible. And that to me feels really potentially very dangerous because it's the same same idea that is translated to why – the argument against mental health and therapy mm-hmm. and medication that is often found in churches as well. So I just wonder what you think about that. I think anytime someone says all you need is the Bible, I get suspicious yeah. because the Bible's not a how-to manual for yeah. how to live our lives or how to create policy or how to create and nurture a family. And I feel like that's often just a cover for proof texting various Mm -hmm. things. So, and to me, if anything, the Bible is more of an example of of what not to do than it Mm. is of Mm -hmm. what to do. Like reading the stories of how people have acted throughout time. It's not an instruction manual. Like it's like, like cautionary tales. It's more of like a cautionary tale in many, in many regards. That's a good point. And like, even the clear instructions, like the quote unquote clear instructions, like the 10 commandments to me, shouldn't be taken out of their historical context because they meant something different. And, the and they're not even they're that written. clear. <laughs> and they're not even that clear. This is true. And they're, and yeah. they're don'ts for the most yes. part. They don't do X, Y, Z. And there are so many biblical rules and mandates that we disregard. And I was thinking about uh, Rachel Held Evans, the year biblical womanhood, mm-hmm. because she does such a good job of pointing to the absurdity of the idea of following biblical mandates. And she does it Mm -hmm. in this very reverent, but humorous and open-hearted way. But just Mm -hmm. in reading that book, it's like the Bible is not an instruction manual. And Mm -hmm. if we try to follow it, we'll end up living out in a tent in our front yard. Like it's not, um, (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't make sense in that way. So, um, you know, I definitely push back on the idea of the Bible as, as all you need, but I also think, about the story of the hemorrhaging woman in the gospel is one of my favorite stories about her suffering and going to doctors, not getting what she needs. And she reaches out for her own healing and without Jesus even knowing it, she gets what she needs. Um, And I just feel like that's a good model. Uh, Maybe not a complete model, but the fact that for those of us who are told 
um, as children or as adults that like we're broken and um, Mm -hmm. we're terrible human beings and we're Mm -hmm. sinful all the time. The idea that we have our own divinity within ourselves that guides us and helps us to listen to that inner voice that says, this is what you need. I think that that's really an affirming story of that. And I think it's, it's really meant a lot to me that I actually know what I need at a deep level and I don't have to always wait for permission to get it. So, mm-hmm. I, but I think that that could be instructive for not just self-help books, but like going and, and getting therapy or seeking medical help for depression or whatever it is. Um, so in that regard, I think that it is very much compatible with at least that particular story. Um, and that's how I choose to interpret it. I don't know how that resonates with you, but it's been, it's been something that's been helpful to me in this time of my life. I think that everything you said is really important. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the course of the summer, different things I've been doing at work and ideas of projects I've been exploring, um, this idea of our inner wisdom. And, you know, you just mentioned that a lot of us have been taught as Christians that we're inherently sinful or broken or um, that we should actually learn to ignore and transcend our inner wisdom because our, our inner voice is always the, I mean, like in some really crude interpretations, our inner voice is always Satan. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That is a very real teaching in Christian tradition that we can never trust our inner voice because our inner voice is always Satan trying to uh, tempt us and yeah, get us off the path and, Um, That we are supposed to always turn externally to God for truth and the answers and righteousness and salvation and all of that. And I've really been exploring that idea of trusting my inner wisdom and what does that look like? And is that Mm -hmm. the divine talking to me? And and I think that self-help, especially some of the books that you and I were talking about, the Brene Browns and... Um, I think that that can help us c- learn to clarify what's our inner wisdom and what's out, what's the noise. And sometimes that's going to look different than what our faith is telling, like our church is telling us. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's a lifelong journey. Like you were saying, like these are things we're going to learn, unlearn, relearn over and over our whole lives. And I think that, I don't know, that's why I'm, I can't discount self-help. I can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, because Mm -hmm. there's some bad self-help books out there. I can't just say that as a genre, it's not worth anything um, because there's some, there's some really good wisdom to be found. It's just, you know, pick up the ones that inspire you. Stop reading if you don't like it. (laughs) It took me a long time. Be (laughs) discerning. Yeah. Be discerning. I used to think I had to finish every book I started and now I'm just like, I don't have time for that. (laughs) That is liberating. It is. It It is so liberating. You could just just put it down, take it back to the library or put it on the shelf, give it away. Yep. Be done with it. So I guess we should move on to what we're reading and listening to. Would you like to go first? Sure. Um, So I've been listening to a podcast that features real life therapy sessions Mm. called Motherhood Sessions. And it's um, 
It's really good. Each episode is a therapy session between Dr. Alexandra Sachs, who is a reproductive psychiatrist. Isn't that so cool? Yeah, that that is very cool. I did not know that existed. I didn't either until I listened to this. So she's talking to either a a mother or a set of parents talking about some aspect of raising kids. And I'm doing a bit of therapy myself right now. So there's something comforting and just knowing how common a lot of the issues are that we all face around identity and family of origin and fears about the future, even if our circumstances are different. A lot of this stuff is just very common. Um, And I loved this episode in particular called Rethinking Your Roots After Motherhood that featured Mm. a Korean woman who had been adopted by a white family and whose Asian heritage had, had basically been erased when she was a child. So she grew up hearing like, you're just like us. Um, you're not different. And the implicit message was it was better to be white than to be Asian. And now mm. she has her own kids and she's actually reconnected with her birth mom. And in the session, she's struggling with how she's going to tell her adopted parents, the parents she's had her whole life about it. And it's really about her differentiating herself from her family and to say, it's okay to be Asian and being Asian is good. Being different is good um, rather than just being like conflated with whiteness. And it's a really Mm. fascinating session, even though I'm not adopted, I'm not Asian, but there's just something about it that like, how do you differentiate yourself from your family of origin and some of the messages that you got as a child saying, I actually don't agree with that as an adult. And how do you communicate that? with your family without severing ties with them. It's really, really good. So even if you don't have kids, I actually think it's a really great listen in the way that Where Shall We Begin by Esther Perel, even if you're not in a serious relationship, I think it just pulls up all of the human stuff that we all wrestle with. So I recommend both of those. Um, so Where Shall We Begin, I mentioned briefly, and then the motherhood sessions um, is what I'm really into right now. So what about I you? cannot wait to look for the motherhood sessions podcast. It's so good. <laughs> it sounds so good. Yeah. I am actually reading a self-helpy type memoir right now as well, and I did not time it this way. This was recommended to me by a friend about a week ago, and I happened to find it on my library's um, e-reader, uh, so I just downloaded it one night. Mm-hmm. I'm reading The Dance of the Dissident Daughter by Sue Monk Kidd, which Yay. is a few decades old now at this point and this is not a new book uh but it's one that's just come onto my radar I'm not quite halfway through I love it it's so good it is about the author's awakening to feminism and to patriarchy and how it plays out in her life and in her faith and her journey toward finding the sacred divine feminine I'm finding it really relatable very um, moving. And I want to just give it to every Christian woman I know, honestly. <laughs> like, it's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to hold some of our uh, elders' feet to the fire and asking them, you know, why are why is our church set up like this? Why is our church structure like this? And And the thing that I'm – the part of the book where I am right now is, is the – men in her life are really pushing back Mm -hmm. on her, just her questioning and her need to sort of understand why patriarchy is so woven into the fabric of our church. And there's this part where her husband is just like so beat down and tired (laughs) 
of her her journey and he's he just says something like I wish you would just stop and she says stop what and he's like all this feminism stuff (laughs) and I just related to that really hard because I'm pretty sure there are people in my life who've said that to me word for word (laughs) can't you just stop can't you just let this go why are you always bringing this up can't you just be okay with the status quo yeah, can't you just let it go and be okay with it? Like, and it's it's coming from. I mean, they're they're trapped in the patriarchy just like we are, um, and it's coming from you know their need to because once you start, and she says this in the book, once you're awake, mm-hmm. how much more awake can you get? Like, mm-hmm. you can't go back once you see right. some things, you can't go back, and so people's refusal to open their eyes is a self preservation thing they just because they know deep down once once they open their eyes to certain ideas and concepts they can never go back and Mm -hmm. it might mean really shaking up your life and changing the way you you live and so I'm just uh yeah I'm finding this book really wonderful I um you know I'm only halfway through so I don't know how it's gonna, gonna end but you so you've read it right yeah I read it a while ago and I loved it and I love her fiction too, because she incorporates a lot of what she has learned about the divine Mm. feminine into her book. So if you haven't read The Secret Life of Bees, which is now also (laughs) old-ish. I think I saw the movie a million years ago. Like the book is so good. Oh, okay. So I don't remember the movie. So So there's this part that's always stuck out to me um, where I think they have these um, black Madonnas or something is part of it. There's a mm-hmm. divine feminine manifestation that I'm forgetting the exact thing. And there's a part where um, this little girl has basically gone to like figure out where the story of her mother and she ends up with this family of, of black sisters. And there's a part where one of the sisters says to her, we all need a God who everybody needs a God who looks like them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, we all need to be able to see ourselves in the divine. Mm-hmm. So if you, um, if you love the rest of the book, you might really like the secret life of bees. Cause it's the same kind of thing, but in, yeah. And just a beautifully told story. Um, she also wrote the invention of wings, I think, which I listened mm-hmm. to when Sam was an infant and really loved that one too, about the Grimke sisters who were um, abolitionists. Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah, she's I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sue Monk Kid. It's making me want to revisit some of her stuff. Maybe I'll do that next. Yeah, I'm excited now. I've got books for my uh, upcoming trip to the Smokies. <laughs> you gave me a, a list of books, so so you're up. Yeah, of the moment, kindred of the moment. Yay. I'm yeah, I'm excited about this one uh, today. I would like to lift up friend and colleague Mickey Scott Bay Jones. She is. Let me just read you a little bit her the first sentence on her bio on her website mickey is a perpetual learner justice doula consultant facilitator mama sister friend non-violence practitioner and contemplative activist living just south of nashville tennessee love it i love mickey she and i uh worked together on a project this summer and it was an it was just a wonderful experience working with her And she is part of the Faith Matters Network, which we have, I believe they have been featured as a kindred of the moment on our podcast before. Mm -hmm. But um, Katie, do you want to say just a word or two about what they do? 
Yeah, so they're an, an interfaith group in Nashville that I think of them as really inviting people into sacred conversations with each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've done this, the People's Supper, where you mm-hmm. gather with people along the political spectrum and have conversation. They've also partnered with Exhale that I think we've talked about before around discussions around abortion um, and just like getting people together to be human with one another. That's probably not their tagline, but that's what I think of their work. (laughs) I think that that's a good uh, summary and I want to lift up. So they are rolling out a new offering called Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy Training. This training is going to be on online based. It's going to focus on the basic skills and knowledge central for the role of a movement chaplain. And a movement chaplain is someone who offers spiritual, emotional, and relational support to people engaged in social justice movements. So upon completing the course, participants will be trained to fill the valuable role of providing spiritual and emotional care in social justice movements. It's uh, a 12-week course all together it's three consecutive four weeks and it's all done online i think it starts in october yes the first course rolls out october 15th i believe so there's time to sign up there is a fee to participate but i think that this is something that if you are part of justice movements and you see this need for you're realizing that folks around you are becoming really burnt out or there's maybe some need for Um, people to just express their emotions around because justice work is hard. You know, we're talking about people that are uh, lobbying or marching, um, folks that are organizing, doing get out the vote or that are doing nonviolent protest. You know, if you're on the, if you're involved in that or on the periphery of that and you can offer some kind of um, spiritual assistance or spiritual guidance to folks that are doing movement work, then this movement chaplaincy training can really help strengthen your skills in mm-hmm. providing that service to people. So it's called Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy. You can find it at faithmattersnetwork.org slash daringcompassion. We'll link to it in the show notes too. Yes, we will link to that in the show notes. So just a shout out to Mickey Scott Bay Jones and the Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy Training. So needed. I might sign up. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it too. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll have an update soon. Yeah. So that is our show for today. Just a quick reminder, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or go subscribe to us on Spotify. Um, again, you can become a patron of our show. Help us cover the cost of, you know, the website hosting and podcast hosting. Uh, over on patreon.com slash kindred. So it's not Kindred's podcast, just Kindred's. Got it. And <laughs> <laughs> next time, in recognition of Domestic Violence Month in October, we'll be talking about gender-based violence and what we all can do to bring an end to it. So that will be a really important episode, a tough one, but really great conversation. And I will talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you.